You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Hector Soap here, joined by one of our favorites, 2018 fellow, 2017 engaged fellow, Maria Morrison Copalillo is here. We did a cool thing over the weekend, and we want to talk about it. So let's get to it. All right, Maria, we hung out all weekend. Are we still friends? Oof, I don't know. How do you define friends? Yeah, work work colleagues, friendly work yeah. colleagues. Yeah, free work colleagues. Yeah. People that do work but don't get paid but do it together. Okay, I'll take it. Yeah, so we did an interesting thing. We did some alumni program. We, we called it NLC Base Camp. But we'll explain a little bit more about it in a second. But the short and sweet of it, it, it was a facilitation training. So training other NLC alums how to be better trainers. So that's very meta in and of itself. Uh, what were your takeaways from the weekend after a couple of days away? Um, that it was really fun. I had a great time. It was um, a really diverse group of folks in terms of their NLC year and the people that they knew. So I actually got to meet a whole lot of new people. Um, and it was just really, it was, it was really different and, and really fun and really challenging. And people really like, I think, talking and thinking about how to get folks to learn better and to be better teachers, not necessarily in a classroom school sense, but teachers of, of content. Why do you think people are so interested in getting better at facilitating or training? Um, I think because we've all sat through terrible facilitations <laughs> and terrible trainings. Uh, I know that's why I was interested in learning how to work with adults coming from a teaching children background, um, because I sat through many a terrible, terrible uh, professional development session. And then I don't think I actually heard your response. So when you think of really weak and bad f- facilitation, what are the top two or three things that drive you nuts? Ooh, I think number one is when the presenter yells at the participants. <laughs> okay. Like from a like from a, a volume standpoint or from an anger standpoint? Like a chastising standpoint. Mm. Um, yeah, like doesn't trust them to make decisions as adults or as humans who function independently. Um, another one is just talking straight at people. Um, that's, I don't learn well like that. And I find it really frustrating when I'm in situations where that's how I'm expected to learn and not able to process or discuss or do any of that good stuff. Um, so those are it for me. Also when it's just boring. Yeah. Yeah. That kills me or kind of purposeless could have been an email. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think for me, when it's clear there's not a plan, that definitely drives me nuts. And you know it's going to be like a 60 or 90 or even longer session, and there just isn't much thought that was put into how those minutes will be used. That drives me nuts. And I think also folks who confuse energy for good facilitation or or showmanship or extroversion for good facilitation. And you can see when those folks have gotten some positive rewards and reinforcement for that behavior, but then that's led to them not actually thinking deeply about the intellectual experience of creating adult learning experiences, but they're just kind of putting on the show and it's jazz hands and it's, it's volume and it's maybe, you know, some gimmicky things on a PowerPoint slide, but it's not truly thoughtful. And there isn't really any evidence at the end that people are any better at anything. So I'm, I'm glad we got to kind of unpack all of that, the bad for folks to kind of talk through. And then we showed them hopefully a lot of, a lot of good things. One thing I was curious about, because I debriefed on you at this point. So we planned stuff together, but when we also kind of left each other to our own devices so we could see 
how our facilitation styles would play out. And so folks could see two different styles as well. What were your thoughts on what I was doing? And then I'll, I'll give you some thoughts on what you, what, what you were doing. I think it was, it was good. I, so the second day to give some context for our listeners who weren't there, we talked about Bloom's taxonomy, um, which is kind of the ways to think about learning and, and accessing knowledge. Um, and I was debriefing this with Richard, who is a wonderful 2019 fellow and was also at the training. And he does a lot of facilitation for a job. Um, and we were talking about how one of the strengths of your session was that you kind of went up and down bloom. So you started mm-hmm. with literal recall where you asked people to repeat back the name of the game that you were playing, <laughs> like red ball, what was it? And they would all have to say red ball. And then somebody asked, why do you make us do that? Um, and you were able to explain why. And then you kind of moved up and down. So asking them to reflect on what might some of the challenges of this game be? Why might people not like this game? Why is a debrief really important? And so we thought that that was a really strong way to take something that could just be perceived as playing games all morning um, and really making it a a fun, rigorous activity that encouraged the participants to reflect. Yeah, that's interesting. I think for me watching you, uh, I think one of the things that came to mind is like you think really fast and there's a lot of real-time adjustments, which I don't necessarily do as much of or even even thinking about. So even... You know, in the moment you're pulling up video links or you're moving stuff around or adjusting slides or, no, we won't do a whole group, we'll do a small group. Uh, so it was interesting to see that that speed, which I, I think I tend to gravitate towards fewer things and a little longer. But then I do wonder if that's just because I'm old and does that miss out then on the attention span realities for folks? And it's actually good to have, I think people too saw how many different ways you're thinking about teaching the same thing. And so I think that was inspiring to folks to see that they should really think how to develop a tactics bank or a resource bank in their mind so that they can access those things when they're in the moment and the session is going in a different direction than they thought it was. Do you think that's a function of our age difference or is that a function of our personalities? Where do you think that comes from? I feel like it's personalities. Mm. Um, also, I just like, I mean, I like facilitating and teaching for kind of the same reasons that I like doing improv, um, is that you're on all the time. And I really like to practice that listening and practice making adjustments, um, which I think sometimes is to my detriment because I will go too far in one direction and then be like, oh, how did we get here? <laughs> oh, God. Um, but... I really like that I'm able to use the part of my brain that's kind of always paying attention to things and jumping around and able to focus it. So for me, it's like a really satisfying thing to be able to um, think of something and then and then try it in the moment. And something else that was really fun about this weekend was I was kind of narrating every instructional choice that I made um, as I was facilitating, which I don't think I've ever done before to that extent. Um, So even I would ask participants to, okay, I'm going to have you talk in a small group and then say, I'm doing this because I'm trying to ABC. Um, And just having to think about every move that I was making and then be able to explain it was was really fun and a different kind of challenge. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because it made me think of, you know, I started doing that a lot more when I brought a lot of what I was doing 
at KIPP with facilitation out of KIPP into NLC spaces or, or non-school settings. Because when you roll up to a, a setting and you are bringing a lot more of the, the fourth grade teacher mindset and you're bringing interactive guides and you're, you're bringing silly community builder games that have a deeper purpose, I, I found the way to get folks bought in faster was to actually be super meta about why I was doing it and what I was doing and mm-hmm. giving them a, a hook of, you know, so if you ever happen to be leading a training or if you ever happen to be in front of kids or if you need something for your board retreat, maybe you could use these. And it was a way, I think, to, uh, I don't know if relax is the right word, but if people were more accepting then of the the different style and format of this type of session that I lead, which tends to be more, more teacher-ish in a good way, hopefully. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and being meta, I think, gives people an opportunity to make those connections to, well, you know, I actually maybe could play this community builder, or I could find a home for this interactive guide, or I could use this check for understanding video thing that Maria just showed me. Uh, because I've been reminded I can use this in a lot of different places. It's not just if I'm in front of kids or if I'm in front of a group of 10 adults and we're supposed to be um, talking about training or facilitation. So yeah, I think the meta on meta piece is, is, is very good to call out. What was your favorite moment from this weekend? I would say, I think they really, this is true at Institute Weekend too. They, they like each other by the end, right? There was yeah. like legit, hey, I want to see you again or tell me how this goes or thanks for that idea on my session. And that still always surprises me, even though it's happened so many times over the years. Uh, and that's the point of what we're trying to do. But yeah, leaving signs like, oh yeah, I think they'll actually really want to stay in touch to some degree and would come again if we held a, a follow-up session uh, and are going to be super jazzed to hear when they can be tapped to come back to Institute, which was the point of the experience too, was to develop a deeper bench of trainers for 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 you. Uh, so that was the most fun part to see actually come come to life of those two days and the people came both days which is kind of remarkable yeah people, people came. came that's a win yeah anything else was the best part for you hearing people i really loved so at the end of the weekend um people planned a an actual session mm-hmm. based on whatever they wanted and then they got to pitch it to a group of their peers and and receive feedback and for me that was really fun to listen to and participate in because um it's just such a unique opportunity, I think, to develop something that you're passionate about and then be able to share the way that you want to share it with mm-hmm. others and get feedback from people that are really invested because at this point they've spent two full days together. Um, so they're able to get feedback that's really helpful in terms of making the experience good, but also very thoughtful because they actually care about each other. Yeah, that's true. Hey, we'll take a short break and when we come back, you can close us out with what's on tap for 2020 with NLCLA. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be right back. All right. So the new fellows are picked, not announced yet. So stay tuned for that. But when you see them for the first time in the middle of January, what are you looking forward to? And then where are you hoping to take them over the five months? Tahiti. Oh, let's go. I'm going to that. NLC Tahiti sounds great. I thought you were tired. I would come out. Well, that's kind of a retirement place, so I might already be there. Oh, that's a good point. Um, Yeah, so they have been selected, uh, but as you said, not public. (laughs) Keep it quiet. So if you are a fellow, keep it on down low. Do not ruin it. Um, Yeah, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to the 2020 class. Um, I think... For me, as a as a co-director, having one year under my belt um, makes me really excited to think about what 
can we do as co-directors with this cohort, especially after the last training where we got to work with all of these awesome people to develop sessions to come in and, and work with our group. Um, besides Tahiti, uh, we are trying to um, really leverage LA folks and bring in people from LA um, to speak about issues that they're passionate about um, and that relate to the fellows lives here in Los Angeles. And, and really, um, my vision is really to build a strong cohort experience for the fellows so yeah. um, so that they like each other. Because for me, that was really one of the most valuable pieces, if not the most valuable piece out of NLC was the friendships that I built. And so I really want to make sure that they get a strong experience with that too. Yeah. And I think, you know, I say this to prospective applicants and I think I say it to y'all a bunch of times as well, but to me, the metric that signifies the healthiest chapter is when folks go to each other's weddings somehow. And we've had that happen essentially every year since I've been around. Um, in 2011, you know, a good chunk of that class and I ended up at Jaya's wedding. She got married shortly after Institute. And then pretty much every year someone is in that state of life and the group bonds in a way that they show up at their wedding. So that happened again this year, which is a good sign. And, and I think you're, you're on the right track to try to make that happen. Uh, cause we have the unique experience of this being a professional leadership training experience, but there's yeah, so much that's personal and bonding that you see, I think some different connections than you might see in different fellowships. Uh, yeah. So I'm excited to see where y'all take it. Um, yeah. Anything else you're looking for in 2020? How are you going to handle the f fellows debating about the 2016 Dem can or 2020 Dem candidates? I'm going to let them fight it fight out. Fight it out. Okay. Yeah. I think the strong shall survive. <laughs> uh, and I want a strong cohort. So yeah, I'm interested to hear your story. So, you know, I, I slipped and said 2016, but that was definitely a Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. And it was unique because it was just Bernie and Clinton, right? There wasn't even this this wide field. And so there was a pretty even split amongst the the fellows at the time. And it got a little more heated as we went through that spring. Uh, so yeah, I'm curious how that plays out again for, for y'all. I'm going to keep an eye on. Uh, yeah. But listen, thanks for hopping on. Thanks for your base camping duties over the weekend. And I look forward to doing what do, what do we call it? NLC Base Camp grad, grad School? Is that what's coming up at some point in the future? Yeah, I mean, what's above the Base Camp? Isn't it just the Summit? NLC Summit? Something? That signifies that they're done. That's a great point. Um, like, I isn't on Everest, isn't there, like, Camp 1, Camp 2? Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, we could do some, do some mountain climbing research on that and see what the best yeah. hashtag will be. Yeah, so folks, stay tuned. You'll hear more about that coming up. And thanks for listening to this episode of The Zag. You can catch... All past episodes in the usual places you get all your podcasts. And stay tuned for that fellow's announcement of who the 2020 Institute and Engage crew will be. We hopefully will have the same thing we did last year, which is short five-minute episodes featuring those new folks. You can get to know them and learn about their amazing stories and how they ended up in our progressive fellowship. So keep an eye on our pages for that. Until next time, we'll catch you soon. Mm -hmm.